everybody. So as you know, after we recorded the podcast on September the 8th, we got word that Queen Elizabeth II, Her Majesty, passed away. So we want to give a big hug to all of our pool seniors across the pond in the United Kingdom, as well as those around the world who are mourning the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. We love you guys. This episode is for you. Are you crazy? A man in a really nice camper wants to put our song on the radio. Give me a pen. I'm signing. You're signing. We're all signing. Said nobody ever in real life. Speaking of pens, this week's movie was written by Tom Hanks out of boredom while on the promotional tour for Forrest Gump. This is the Pool Scene Podcast on vocals. My co-host, Jim. Kevin, there was one time when I was bored as a kid and I literally bought a notebook and I decided to write my first script for, you remember the game Night Trap for Sega CD? Yeah. I wrote the sequel to it. Pretty bad. Night Trap 2? What did you have? I forget. What, I think it was called like the New Revenge or something. The like New that. Revenge. The New Revenge. Not the old Revenge. The New Revenge. I wish it was called uh, Retribution, Annihilation, Retaliation. I was like nine. I didn't know words that big yet. I'm more of a bass player, TB player. I'm Kevin. This week, we are doing 1996 film, That Thing You Do, written and directed and starring Tom Hanks. The banger himself. That Thing You Do, exclamation point. How many movies have exclamation points in the title? Ooh, Airplane? This was the first movie directed by Tom Hanks, but prior, he had directed an episode of Tales from the Crypt. Weird. An episode, everyone, Schwarzenegger directed one. If you go back through Tales from the Crypt, it's like everyone has directed. Fucking I tax, directed an episode of tax break. An episode of Fallen Angels and an episode of A League of Their Own television series. I knew that there's a new one. I think it's on like Hulu or Apple TV. Yeah. I did not know that there was one immediately following the movie. Boy, I had no idea. In 93, I think it's from. Hank's only other film directing credit is the underrated Larry Crown. In short, the movie is about a band who makes a hit song called That Thing You Do that launches them into temporary stardom. The song was actually written by Adam Schlesinger, the bassist of Fountains of Wayne. Rest in peace. The reason he wrote the song is because the studio was holding a contest with the prize being the winning song used in the movie. Jim, including live performances and snippets, want to guess how many times we hear that thing you do in the movie. Okay, so you got the accurate count. Yeah, you okay. have hear it on the radio, them rehearsing, the them performing. playing it live. I'm going to say 15 times. Not bad. It's 11 times. Okay. I think it's more. 11 seems conservative. Yeah. But it's 11 times. Jim, we know Tom Hanks often means box office magic, but this wasn't marketed as a blockbuster. So how did it fare? State fair. If you want to. <laughs> fun. Uh, please give us budget box office news number ones at time of release. <laughs> WUAB, Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. That Thing You Do came out on October the 4th, 1996 to a $26 million budget only made $34 million. So, eesh, yikes. I lost money. But as we will probably talk about later in this episode, there is actually two versions of this movie. The theatrical cut, which was 108 minutes, and the extended cut, which added an additional 40 
minutes and those additional 40 minutes changes a big element of the movie now like kevin alluded to the title song that thing you do as kevin said was written by the late great adam schlesinger the song was released as a single and although not as successful as it was depicted in the film the track did moderately well in the united states peaking for three weeks at number 41 on the billboard hot 100 in november of 96 it also reached number 22 on the adult contemporary chart number 18 on the adult top 40 and number 24 on the top 40 mainstream. It was nominated for Best Original Song at the 69th Academy Awards, as well as Best Original Song at the 54th Golden Globe Awards. Speaking of music, we're hitting the charts here. This movie took place in the summer of 1964. So here are your top five songs from the Billboard charts on July 25th, 1964. Number five, Stan Getz, The Girl from Ipanema. Kevin, one of your longtime favorites. Mm -hmm. Memphis by Johnny Rivers. I Get Around by the Beach Boys. A Hard Day's Night by the Beatles. And you guys are going to have to hang on to find out what's number one later in the news. Sticking with 1964, Kevin, I feel that we should talk about the news of the time in 1964. This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. President Johnson signs the Civil Rights Act and Voting Rights Act into law. Teamsters president and union leader Jimmy Hoffa convicted of fraud and conspiracy. Kevin brought up the fact, and he's turned me on to it, the Crooked City podcast with Jim Trafkin and the Mafia here in Youngstown. Kevin, as we are headed back to the moon, at least we're trying to, the art launch has been scrubbed but it looks like you're going to try again at the end of the month into october ranger 7 takes 4316 pictures before crashing onto the moon whoops <laughs> now kevin normally this time we would throw it to mtv news and kurt loader but kurt loader was just a kid at the time so i think it's time for dick clark to bring out the news what up dick <laughs> From Philadelphia, it's time for America's favorite dance party, American Bandstand. The star of our show, Dick Clark! Shannon Dean's Surf City became the first surfing record to go to number one on the charts. Okay. Hell yeah, Shannon Dean and the Beatles album A Hard Day's Night comes out, goes straight to number one, and stays there for 14 weeks. Beatles were a juggernaut. Should be sleeping like a log. (laughs) Pete Best, every single day of his life. What the fuck was I thinking? God (laughs) Damn it, Ringo Starr. You know who was around in 1964 and he was thinking of the element of the sports machine? George Michaels. Good evening, everybody. I'm George Michael. Welcome to the sports machine. At the PGA Championship at Columbus Country Club, Bobby Nichols wins his only major title by three strokes from the big two. Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer leading wire to wire. In cycling, Kevin, Jacques Anquetil of France wins his fourth consecutive Tour de France and is the first to claim five titles later on. Eddie Merckx, Bernardino, and Miguel Indurain were the next ones to claim five titles. Can't count Lance Armstrong anymore. Lance Armstrong out of the equation. Kevin, your number one movie in 1964 was the unsinkable Molly Brown. And your number one movie in 1996 at this time, The First Wives Club. Get the women out in full force. They love The First Wives Club. Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, I believe. The juggernauts of American cinema. And here are your two number one songs from 1964 and 1996. Top in the Billboard charts. Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons with Ragdoll. Ragdoll. 
another great song. And then the song that stayed at number one for 14 weeks to the point you could never get it out of your head. Los Del Rio, the Macarena. And a song still to this day that will not die along with the dance. And that's all that was going on at this time in October 1996 in July of 1964. So George Michael was born in 1939. Oh, so it would have been perfect for this. In 1964, he was working a 6 to 10 shift until he was reassigned 5 to 9 early drive time in Milwaukee at WRIT. Perfect. So George Michael was just preparing himself. Yeah, he was around. So the song that plays during the film's opening credits, Loving You Lots and Lots, is credited to the fictitious Norm Wooster singers. You got me all tied up in nuts. Actually written by Tom Hanks. Ooh, nice. We're going to be discussing songs by fictional artists. Later, let's count it out into the plot. Two, three, four. In 1964, we meet Guy Patterson. He works for his family's appliance store in Erie, Pennsylvania, but dreams of being a jazz drummer. Across town, an unnamed, what are we going to call him, garage band? Yeah, pretty much. Their drummer, Chad, breaks his arm trying to jump over a parking meter. Fucking idiot. (laughs) The singer of that band, Jimmy Mattingly, and guitar player Lenny Hayes, ask Guy to fill in for Chad on drums, playing their song, That Thing You Do, at the Mercyhurst College Talent Show. Ah, love it. Despite practicing beforehand, Guy apparently becomes possessed by the beat and plays a much faster tempo than rehearsed. Jimmy wanted it fast, but I think it's slow or whatever it is. Yeah. He says he's, he's explaining it all to his girlfriend. Jimmy's pissed, but let me, let me. <laughs> if you want to gamble, the thing you do, the thing you do. <laughs> Jimmy's pissed. Can you imagine? It's just like it's Jimmy. Mr. It's. <laughs> It's Jimmy, it's Guy, it's TB, it's Lemmy player and Lemmy. I don't think this guy works with us, man. How old are you? I'm 19. I was editor of the school magazine. So Jimmy's pissed. Lenny goes on along with it. He's trying to get Jimmy to speed up. They win the talent show, get invited to play a paying gig at Villa Piano's, a local pizza joint by the airport. You know, you guys are way better than anything. I told my parents I was going over to my friends Bobby and Joanne to study, but I didn't. I came here instead. I'm stooping to subterfuge for you guys. Hey, uh, Skitch, your girlfriend just walked in the door. And a little, you know, behind the scenes, Tom Hanks, Oakland Raiders fan. They had a, I think it was a linebacker who had the last name of Villapiano. Okay, so, so that makes sense. Then. He named it after the Oakland Raiders player. When a fan asks them for a record, they take it as a sign to make one, to sell for a buck a piece, which doesn't add up. It's a logic issue because at that time, I think the most anybody's getting out of a 45 was like maybe 50 cents. So yeah. they were like gouged heavily people. upcharging. 
A local talent promoter notices them and offers them a contract with a promise to get them on the radio, which he does. Despite bombing at a showcase, getting booed off stage in Pittsburgh, their manager gets them a meeting with an A&R guy with Playtone Records, Mr. White. White offers them a new contract, which also means he becomes their manager. I didn't mention that up until this point, they've been called the Wonders but they spelled it O N E D E R S. The Oneaders. So, like the number one Durs. Since this led to them often getting called the Oneaders or Onetters, as Lenny says, Mr. White changes it to the proper spelling of the Wonders, which, as Lenny says, like I wonder what happened to the Oneaders. <laughs> they go on the Playtones Records tour of state fairs. It's very important you don't stink today. Hey, I make no guarantees. We bow, right, in unison, and we're off the stage before the applause dies out, right? What if they want an encore? You unplug and you run, run off stage. Smiling, smiling, of course. No encores. Jimmy's girlfriend, Faye, tags along under the guise of being the costume mistress. Yes. All sorts of things happen on tour as they learn about the music business. Jimmy's pretty much a dick to Faye, which no one appreciates. When their song, That Thing You Do, reaches number seven on the Billboard charts, Mr. White pulls them off the State Fair tour to go to Los Angeles. They do radio interviews and promotion. They star in a movie. They appear on the Hollywood television showcase on national TV. This next group you've all been waiting for. Here they are, playing that thing that's racing up the charts. Look out, Wisconsin. It's the Wonders! Like the Beatles. Yes, and this is where shit falls apart. The bassist, who the band was in aware, enlisted in the Marines, and was just waiting on his call to boot camp. He's a no-call, no-show. I don't know where he is, but he was joining the Marines in August anyway. This was going to happen sooner or later. Guy, say hello to Wolfman, Mr. Scott Pell. How you doing? Replacement? Yes. Who's he played with? The Techniques, uh, Roy Maxwell and the Corsairs. <laughs> really? He's your new bass player. He's replaced for the Hollywood television showcase by a friend of Mr. White. Wolfman. Wolfman, yeah. Guy is hungover from staying in a jazz club meeting his idol, Del Paxton. Jimmy has a stomach flu. Lenny is preoccupied with his new girlfriend. When the captions appear on screen introducing the band's members, Jimmy's caption says, be careful, girls, he's engaged. And that sets him off. After they get off stage, Jimmy goes, basically goes off on Faye, thinking she was responsible when actually it was Mr. White. She she dumps him. From now on, you stay away from me. I have wasted thousands and thousands of kisses on you. Kisses that I thought were special because of your, your lips and your smile and all your color in life. I used to think that was the real you when you smiled. But now I know that you don't mean any of it. You just save it for all your songs. The next day, the band is scheduled to record in the studio, but only Jimmy and Guy and Wolfman, yeah. Scott Pell. Jimmy's still a dickhead. Like, he basically only wants to record his original songs. When Mr. White reminds him that, well, like, basically, your contract says you do what I tell you to do, Jimmy quits. Mr. White explains to Guy that this is common in the music industry. It's a very common tale. Well, maybe for you, but I was in a band and we still have a hit record. Yeah, you do. One hit wonders. 
It's a very common tale. Guy hangs around, ends up getting to record with his idol, Del Paxton, tells Guy he should stick around LA for a while. He could be a session musician. Back at the hotel, Guy tells Faye his plans. She says she's returning to Erie, but before she gets in the cab, Guy chases after her and they kiss. Before you go, let me ask you one question. When was the last time you were decently kissed? I mean, truly, truly good and kissed. Dave Gamelgard, New Year's Eve, 61. We get to the title cards to end the movie telling us Jibby became a producer, which if you look, there's a couple interesting notes. So there's Easter eggs, but you'd have to have the soundtrack. So we learned that Jimmy became a producer, but on the actual soundtrack itself, Jimmy became a producer for Playtone specifically, which is awkward because also in the soundtrack notes, you find out Mr. White became president of Playtone. Interesting. So Jimmy would have like worked for him. Yeah. Lenny is a divorced hotel and casino manager in Nevada. The bass player earned a purple heart in Vietnam before getting into construction in Orlando, Florida. Still never got his name. Yeah. Yeah. Just TV player. Yeah. TV player. The bass player. Ethan Embry says as part of like researching the role, he imagined his name was Tobias. Okay. Guy and Faye get married, had four children in Washington state. Guy teaches jazz composition at the music conservatory that they own and founded. Also, we have to talk about the director's cut, which Jim mentioned, which makes a little bit of a different movie. It's an extra 40 minutes. We see obvious things like more of Guy and Tina's relationship because like we meet Tina like twice. Yeah. And that's about it. And then at the end of the movie, Faye says to Guy, like, so you really loved her, huh? And it's like very disgruntled for no purpose. And it's like, you don't really see see her so you get more of that we get more band rehearsal scenes the bass player has a romantic affair with a member of the chantrelines yeah which we get like hints of but you get the full thing and we see implication that mr white is gay with howie long appearing as his boyfriend bring him along From Mr. Pouty to this. I don't think so, guy. You won't remember much of this conversation, so check with the hotel operator in the morning. She has all the information. Lloyd, please, let's go before it gets too late. Bye-bye. Good night. Howie Long again makes an appearance in a movie on this podcast. The big change with the extended cut is that after the band is broken up, Guy meets with Del Paxton again and a number of jazz musicians in the studio working on new music. This is so weird to me and I'm glad they cut it. Guy contacts a local DJ who had interviewed the Wonders. The DJ offers Guy a job if he interviews Dell and other artists. Rather than Guy not knowing what he's going to do in California or taking his chance at being like a session musician, basically this gives Guy a job at the radio station. Okay. Yeah. What? So the movie ends with Guy getting a job at a radio station. Wow. That's what yeah, the, I, I, that's what I mean. Talk like, about a big wet part to end a movie. Yeah, I'm glad they they changed. Yeah, that. so. Uh- Let's get into characters. Tom Everett Scott as Guy Skitch Shades Patterson, the Wonders drummer. Liv Tyler as Faye Dolan. Jonathan Sheck, not to be confused with <laughs> Dolph, Dolph Lundgren. Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren and Lemmy in this band. Way <laughs> oh, my Lord. Can you imagine? Jonathan Sheck is James Jimmy Mattingly. Steve Zahn is Leonard Lenny Hayes, the guitarist. He actually played guitar and sang. Really? He also played guitar and sang in Saving Silverman. Ethan Embry is TV player, the bass player. 
Tom Hanks as Mr. Amos White, Charlize Theron as Tina Powers. She falls in love with uh, the dentist. She was the first person to audition and sign on to be in the movie. Bill Cobbs as Del Paxton, Giovanni Ribisi as Chad, the original drummer, Oba Bubatunde as Lamar, Alex Rocco as Saul Siler, Chris Isaac as Uncle Bob. What else do we want to mention? Kevin Pollock, Vic Boss Koss, whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah, the boss Vic Koss. Paul Feig is the dish jockey Clint Howard, brother of Ron Howard. I think you unfortunately have to say that. Yeah. But he's the uh, jazz DJ. Brian Cranston appears as Gus Grissom on the uh, Hollywood Television Showcase. And they had some deep cuts that ended up becoming like a popular thing later. Rita Wilson. Rita Miller. Is Tom Hanks' wife. She plays Marguerite. Colin Hanks, Tom Hanks' son, is in the movie. And Elizabeth Hanks, their daughter, is in the movie. So they basically like <laughs> stuff them in the backgrounds affair. and stuff. Howie Long, only in the uh, director's cut Stud. because he cut from the theatrical release and so Jim which actor actress gives a passable performance designing any non-lead character still scenes Lenny provides Lenny's incredible he's mine I mean he provides those moments Lenny give me that paper give me the paper Lenny, why don't you go and see if you can visit the cockpit? Tell him it's your birthday. Go, go, go. And he just, like, when he meets in the camp, or like when you started off the episode with, perfect moment of levity. He's the one who kind of... He has so many quotes. Like, he's almost a scene in himself because, like, when Jimmy's complaining about he wants to stop touring and record more records, and Lenny says, there he goes, write the hit song, Alone in My Principles. (laughs) And then Lenny, when he's being interviewed on the news, and basically the guy's like, here we are with the Wonders, like, for their state fair, and he's like, oh, no. No, I got livestock in the competition. I got a pig. He's perfect. He's great. He's so damn good. Let's move on to best scenes. So I'll go first. I'll say in the diner, when the band is trying to decide on a name, we heard, so the herdsman, Jimmy is yeah, like, Jimmy and a herdsman stuck on the herdsman. Which and he ends up using that after this movie ends. So they're trying to decide, and it's it's funny because he's just naming some, but the ones not spoken out loud, if you pause it and look at his notebook, are the Dollars, the Lords of Erie. The Lords of Erie. It I, sounds like a metal band. I, <laughs> I have to be careful how I say this one because it's, it's like a play Uh-oh. on the Pistons, but it's Uh-oh. the Pistons. The what? The P-I-S-T-U-N-E-S. Pistoons. Pistoons. Great. Man, what do you like to listen to when you take a piss? Pistoons. Pistoons. It's supposed to be, I think, like the Pistons. Yeah. But, horrible. But Jimmy in this scene, he's very obsessed with changing basically like the Beatles, B-E-A-T-L-E-S. Yeah. So he's obsessed with changing the spelling so that it, it's like a music pun. The Wonders. Lenny. Yeah, it looks like the Oneaters. No, the the wonders. Got it. Looks like the Oneaters. The Thorns, the Mozarts, which I really like. Yeah. The Echoes, the Ticks, the Didoctics, and the Flannels. <laughs> it all leads to, so Lenny goes to talk to Guy, who's sitting at the counter by himself, and they're just like bullshitting. And, he's uh, Spartacus, Kevin. Yeah, he is Spartacus. But he, he goes to talk to him about the store, and he, he basically says he's going to go elsewhere. And we get the great inflection in Guy's voice that says, those cats don't know squat about service. Yeah. He says it's so weird. Continuing 
continuing on from that, the garage scene where, you know, after what's his name breaks his arm, it's jumping bad. over. I still don't know how he landed, how he did to break his arm. It makes no sense to me. However, I like when they're in there and they're starting to, you know, they're getting together. They're still stuck on, oh, the O'Neaters. You know, I could do this better with a faster beat. And they're like, Jimmy is just like, he's stuck on the herdsman and he's stuck on a slow beat song for some reason. I don't know why. He wants to write ballads. That's all he wants to do. He is the warrant of 1964. It's just straight <laughs> ballads. Every now and then you can get him to do a cherry pie. And that's that thing you do. I think after piss tunes, he wrote warrant. It goes right into the talent show, which is him trying to do a fast beat drum and them trying to perform it. It's fucking dreadful. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that won, but it was horrible well, because bad. it's way better than everything else. Plus, well, using a term from wrestling this past weekend, Jimmy just did not want to throw an audible about how he wanted to sing that song. Yeah. There's just no bending him. But Lenny was kind of like, it's all right. You're a lucky man. It's all right. Yeah, like, You're I a lucky like man. <laughs> The first time they play at Villa Pianos and their one fan tells them after the show they should make a record. Hey guys, I don't mean to interrupt. I just want to say that I uh, love your song, love that music. I want to know where I can get the record. Outside. Hey, Pops. Hey, Pops, I'll give you a pop. Hey, wasn't that our fan? And what do you guys think about that? For what? Maybe we should make a record. Like actually make a record. A record, record, record. Yeah, that's what I mean. Not one that we play. Yeah, I mean, we could, like, sell copies of them right here for a buck a piece. There's a sound booth at Telemark that we could use. No, that's for, like, two people, and it's for birthday greetings. You're talking to Spartacus here. I happen to have a relative in the record industry. Ooh, Uncle Bob. Uncle, who's Uncle Bob? <laughs> he records church music, choirs, favorite sermons, stuff my mom listens to. So could he record our music? Maybe. Wouldn't do it for free. And we'd have to watch our language. And it like clicks for them. It's like no. they hadn't thought about it because so basically, you know, they won the talent contest that you said. And like the guy just walks up on stage. This dude, which I mean, we've seen that kid in multiple movies. Yeah, he's that kid. He's the Aaron Burr milk commercial guy. Yes. But he's he was in a bunch of stuff growing up. So the dude from Villapianos just walks on stage and it's like hilarious because now there's such heavy security for everything. Yeah. But this dude just walks up on stage and he's like, I got to have you come play at Villapianos. So they go play Villa Pianos. They get a bonus because so many people came in to dance. Yeah. So this kid's like yelling at him from the back and he's like, we want to dance and meet girls. How can we dance and meet girls? If they're playing Jimmy's slow songs. So they play that thing you do. And I think the second time they play Villa Pianos, they come with some faster tunes. Little wild one. Yeah, little wild one. So it takes him telling them you should make a record for them to be like, whoa, we should make a record. Guy's uncle, the recording at the church. Chris Isaac. That's right. So fucking weird. They got wicked games here in this movie. The funny thing about that Villapiano scene too, there's an alternate shot of that movie in which, you know, they play a little wild one. It's more peppy. A riot breaks out in Villapiano's. Because everybody is just nuts. Then Moshin. people start chucking shit at the stage. It's absolutely bizarre. So my next one, I can't believe his name is Amos. That's so weird. Mr. White tells Jimmy at the end, you know, you have to be here or you violate the contract. And then that arrogant Jonathan Sheck plays probably one of the most underrated pricks in movie history in this movie, in this role, where he's like, I, I quit. I quit. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I quit, Mr. White. 
How fucking stupid could you be? I you were Mr. White. You are so obsessed with Jimmy and the Herdsman. Yeah. You are willing to throw away literally being the number one band in the country because you are so obsessed with your own ego, CM Punk. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's like you can take both sides of this. Like, because what happened for Jimmy? It still worked out. Yeah. He probably got to play his ballads. He got to be in the Herdsman. Granted, not as popular, but still. Well, he had hit records. Yeah. I mean, he's producer. Yeah. I mean, Guy, the nice guy. I mean, I guess what he got. He wanted yeah. to, but my next one, the first time that thing you do is played on the radio. That was my next one, too. Here's something new. A local Erie fan's got a new record out. Just won the Mercyhurst Talent Show a couple of weeks ago. This is Erie's own Home <laughs> incredible it's, it's uh so their their new promoter tells them they'll get played on the radio we see Faye walking down the sidewalk and she's uh handheld radio handheld radio and then we see tv player coming out of the uh, uniform store and he turns it on and they kind of connect with each other they immediately run to guys parents appliance that store. tracking shot of them yeah, running the down the sidewalk yep, in downtown Erie, and then they they turn it on the rate all the radios in the appliance store yeah and then lenny and jimmy pull up and i'm pretty sure they just leave their car in the street they just leave it in park doors open everybody's hugging it's awesome it's a great scene they're all celebrating hearing their song on the radio for the first time and you find out they played it three times the first day yeah which is great and i wonder if he had to pay any extra for that or do any favors because we really don't know the background that much of that no but he just isn't a camper stew in his camper would you willingly walk into a camper and sign a contract i mean guy is a little bit hesitant he is you know there's trepidation hey you're the drummer and he's like yeah do you want to buy a record and he's like i don't want to waste any more of your time step into my office and guy's like what i <laughs> like, call the fucking cops yeah. i have guy at the blue spot getting drunk watching jazz that's awesome gets to meet his hero del paxton hey lamar is there any place around here with really good jazz oh you want good jazz good jazz let me ask you a question who played cornet jacques st Clair on vital stats scotty mcdonald Get in the cab. Get in the cab. <laughs> Take this young man to the blue spot. The waitress is trying to fuck him so bad. Oh, big time. And he's just no selling it. And then, yeah. And she's like, she might as well say, don't drink too much. Cause I need, I need you to get it up. Like yeah. later. <laughs> And then she introduces him to Dell and she's like, oh, you're no good for me. He does such a good job acting drunk when he's yeah. talking to Dell, the way he touches his face and stuff. And he says, yeah, we got me and Jimmy and Bay. We got something snappy, I think. And Dell's like, you know, some bands is break, you know, whatever. When he's getting drunk and he's drinking the martinis and he's clapping like in overdrive, it's really good because it. it sets up meeting Dell again later. Yeah. So probably a pool at the hotel. Oh, that's a huge hotel. But I don't think we see them swim. We do see them fall down on a big uh, painted map on blacktop. If you notice, one of the members falls off the bike Cleveland on the Cleveland spot on the map. That is right. Because it's meant to represent Tom Hanks' journey to Hollywood. How awesome because is that? Because he, you know, performed for several years at the theater scene in 
in Cleveland. Well, plus Tom Hanks throughout the first pitch at the Guardians game to kick off the year. Wonders by the pool and Jimmy. What is it? Jimmy Shrimp Shack Shooters. No, Captain Geach. And Captain Geach. And Captain Geach and Shrimp Shack Shooters comes from Tom Hanks. He used to spend time. I don't remember where it was, but there were two seafood restaurants. One was called Captain Geach's. One was called the Shrimp Shack. <laughs> So he named the band after two seafood restaurants. He's good. You know, we look like a bunch of chimpanzees. No, we look like a rock and roll band playing a rock and roll song during weekend at Party Pier. Yeah, here's the thing. We're not the wonders right now. We're Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Ladies and gentlemen, don't eat that much shrimp before you jump into the pool. But if you do, get out because there's poop. Another super weird fact about that scene is, so they're at Weekend at Party Pier. They're in a, a major motion picture. Yeah, it's like those old throwback, like yeah. a Ned Funicello type movies. Yes, like a Beach Frankie Blanket. Avalon. Yep. Beach Blanket, bingo. bingo. There you go. The director of that movie of Weekend at Party Pier is Jonathan Demme, the director oh. of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> so somewhere before Silence of the Lambs, he directed Weekend at Party Pier. Wait a minute, guy ate Faye? Literally? So I think, like... In doing this research, I'm like, I feel like we've done this before. We have covered fictional bands before and yes. fictional music artists. And maybe it's just because we discussed what songs and, and stuff they did. But this time we are doing best songs by fictional artists. Like, so from movies or television. Hell, if you want to do a song from a magazine, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I love magazine songs. <laughs> you just have to guess how it yes. sounds. So I went first on scenes. Jim, you go ahead and give us your number five. My number five. You all, everybody, drive chef from Lost. Yeah. You all, everybody. You all, everybody. Charlie's band, drive also chef, a one his hit brother. Wonder. Yeah, big one hit wonder. And that was the basically the lowest point of Charlie. He and him being completely doped up on drugs and remembering the good times, the good old days with his brother and him having the drive shaft ring on. Fuck, that song would just stick in your head throughout that first season of Lost. While you're wearing your uh, DS ring right now. That's right. My number five is a tie. I'm taking because both songs are from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I have Inside You by Aldous oh, Snow. So good. Oh, as ancient skies I've had these wandering eyes But you took me by surprise When you let me inside of you But I also have Dracula's Lament by Peter <laughs> Bretter. It's getting kind of hard to believe Things are going to get better I've been drowning too long to believe That the tide's going to turn I've been living too hard to believe things are going to get easier now. Because so he good. performs <laughs> as Dracula. As Dracula. <laughs> and it's like in like a tiki bar in Hawaii. And he's talking about killing Van Helsing and stuff. And imagine sitting there as this guy's just going full Dracula. I start following that guy around. So my number four, Friends Forever by the Zack Attack. Oh, there you go. Friends. 
Such a great one. We'll never forget that song growing up as a kid and it just being stuck in your head. It's like the behind the music or the Casey Kasem yeah. uh, episode. And much like this movie, same thing happens. Friends hit it big, fall apart. But don't forget, there was also their second hit. Did we ever have a chance? Yep. The fucking ballad. Anytime we could see Slater and Jesse <laughs> sing and the voices were not right. <laughs> we talked about that when we did the Swim Meet series. Yeah. Uh, the Say by the Bell episode. And they sang, was it a Michael Bolton song? Yeah. It's, we, it's like Slater, that's not your voice. No. My number four, a recent one, appropriate for number four, because it's Four Town, Nobody Like You from Disney's Turning Red. I'm never gonna let you back, oh back, no back. I never not be alright, alright, alright. The uh, members are Robert, Aaron T, Aaron Z, Tay Young, and Jesse, the fictional Canadian boy band from 2002. My kids love this song, and I can't lie how catchy it is because, like, it's Disney. Yeah. So Disney pull out all the stops when it comes to, like, getting things right. So when you hear this song, you'd put it up there with maybe not NSYNC or Backstreet, but, yeah. like, B44. Any of, yeah, B44 or 5 or any of the other ones. This song is right up there with them. My kids listen to it all the time, which means I listen to it all the time. So my number three could be a bit of a technicality. I took the heights. How do you talk to an angel? Yeah. How do you talk to an angel? Granted, it did hit the mainstream charts with Jamie Walters, but the song was yeah, conceived this, on show right. by the fictional band, yes. The Heights. Yes. What a great show. Very underrated. It still to this day is mind boggling. But then again, you look how society hasn't really evolved. The Jamie Walters got blackballed from Hollywood by playing Ray ah. Pruitt in 90210 and throwing Donna down those stairs. People automatically assumed he was a beater and it ruined him. It's so weird. Fucking stupid. I always ask you this question when you bring it up. How do you talk to an angel? <laughs> I don't know. My number three is Drive It Like You Stole It from the movie Sing Street by the band Sing Street. Such a charming fucking movie that I think about like every day. I love that movie. This is a great song, a catchy song. So the whole movie Sing Street, I think it's Irish and it's like about a neighborhood kids who start a band, but they go through these phases like where they're really into the cure. So they sound like the cure and then they're really into like new waves or they sound new yeah. wave and stuff. But this one, Drive It Like You Stole It is such like an 80s upbeat, like awesome song. I th I think about that movie all the time. You know, take a day, watch Sing Street, everybody. So my next- You don't have to take the whole day. It's only an hour and a half or something. Yeah, but it's still, not like- Screw it. Not 17 hours. So my next one, they had a bevy of songs. They had two albums. They had a cornucopia, if you will. But their first one is what made it big for them. Together with you plus yeah. me equals us. The 
calculus. I almost mentioned this when I picked four town and I was like, no, because it's probably still going to come up. It's a very underrated. I think we're going to cover this one day. That MTV movie was really fucking good. And it's, I mean, Chris Farley's brother sang, they all sang. And then you find out the kid to play QT actually died. I forget he had some sort of like kidney or liver disease that he died of. But dude, really talented guys that it parlayed into a movie, to a TV series, to two records. Pretty damn amazing for a fictional band. Yeah, it was. uh, And they stayed in kayfabe. Yeah, I think that the only problem I have with it is that the movie's just not very accessible. It's not. I was able to rip it off of fucking LimeWire years ago. Like if you could just go to Paramount Plus and stream it or something, I'd say, yeah, that's absolutely makes it tough. Number two, also Disney, specifically Pixar. It's Remember Me from Coco. For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you each night we are apart. Remember me. And in true Pixar fashion, I can only imagine how many people have cried watching Miguel play that song at the end for Mama Coco. What a heart-wrenching scene because the song is the family's entire legacy and it was stolen and it's like his ancestors trying to get the song back like after death and it's just the whole sentiment. It's God. It's like pulling at your heartstrings. So remember me from Coco. My number one. Number one. A very, very underrated show and I don't think he gets enough credit even though it was in a perfect spot on the Saturday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. It's the California Dreams with the California Dreams (laughs) fucking theme song. Such a good song. Yeah. It worked out perfectly. Wish, it was perfect for I the go back and show. watch that. It probably is hard to watch. Like probably. some of those Saved by the Bell episodes are like, what? It was a lead in or a lead out? It was Save the lead Bell. out because Saved by the Bell was on a 10. They were at a 1030 slot. They also had C-I-T-Y. You, you can see why. City guys. My number one. Number one. That thing you do by the wonder. Yeah. Just very catchy. It's literally like the whole movie is kind of about the song. Yeah. Got some honorable mentions. Oh, I got a big one. What's your big one? Millie Vanilli. <laughs> They're technically <laughs> fictional. That's actually an excellent point. Yeah. They've got multiple songs. Yeah. Um, uh, Berserker by Olaf and Clerks. Oh, yeah. Make fuck Berserker. Did he say make fuck? Dewey Cox, Walk Hard, oh, Let's yeah. Do It. Some other ones in the movie Walk Hard. Mouse Rat, 5,000 Candles in the Wind from oh, Parks and Rec. Such a great one. It needed to be like Candle in the Wind, but 5,000 times better. Yeah. 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Little Sebastian. Stillwater, Fever Dog, which is from Almost Famous, which Jim has not seen. seen. So that song had like a real music pattern. Pedigree. It was written by Cameron Crowe and his wife, Nancy Wilson from Heart. Yeah. And the guitar player on the song was Mike McCready from Pearl Jam. So it's like you get a little Heart Pearl yeah, Jam collaboration. I mean, it, it, Robbie Hart, wedding singer, Grow Old With You. Rex Manning, Say No More. <sighs> Dayman, It's Always Sunny. Does that oh! go? 
And Steel Dragon, we all die young from Rockstar. I love Steel Dragon so much. Who were actually Steelheart, the actual real band they were based off of, or sang for them? Who was sang for them? Steelheart, the band Steelheart, oh. was the actual vocals for Steel Dragon. Steelheart. Huh? Yeah, unfortunately, it was not Mark Wahlberg, because that would have been fucking great if it was. Well, let's get back in the pool, crank up that uh, Steel Dragon. And we Well, take us there, Sketch. I don't have a critical question. There's nothing really critical to think about I mean, because of this movie. I Okay, let's. I'll, I'll come up with one off the cuff. All right, riff it. Best music movie. Ooh. Just like, uh, it does, not necessarily right a musical. All right, not thinking. Purple Rain. Okay. Kind of. I take that. Yeah. Yeah, Purple Rain's good. I, off the top of my head because we just talked about it. Sing Street, fantastic. Spinal Tap. I like uh, the same people who made Sing Street made another movie called Begin Again, okay. which I really like. Uh, with Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley. I like Once is a really great movie. Star is Born. I don't like. <laughs> I just, the whole... I haven't seen it. I, I don't know. Oh, so there's the scene where Bradley Cooper pisses himself at the Grammys. Perfect. And I, it's just too embarrassing for me. <laughs> he's up there accepting an award and he's oh, like tilting no. back and he's pissing himself in front of the audience at the Grammys. I'm like, it's cringe. Yeah. I don't know. So uh, yeah, Pool Sceners, uh, take this opportunity. Let us know your favorite music adjacent movie. Notice one of the songs we didn't mention was Peter Weller's song from Buckaroo Bo- Banzai. Oh my God. We totally forgot that. And and the Lone Rangers. Yeah. Not a not a fictional song though. It's a what real, degenerate? Yeah. Was re- oh. real song. Oh, okay. Real song that they just like borrowed. From oh, okay, okay, okay. So, all right. Well, no one that I want in my band, anywhere near oh, my band. Can you imagine? Is Mr. David McCall? You know, it could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. Sing the fucking song. Come on there. It's called Nicole Forever. Yeah. Look at my stomach, okay? All right, Logic. Now, you brought it up earlier that you liked it, but I will say, All doesn't right. the guy in face stuff come off like a whole Jesse's girl vibe? Jesse like the, is a friend. Like yeah. the day after her and Jimmy break up, guy kisses her. Like, how long have you been eyeballing your friends? Not that guy and Jimmy are really friends. They're not. They're just acquaintances. Still, that's your bandmate's girlfriend. Yeah. And then you could... <laughs> You could say, well, at least he waited till they broke up. But still, it's like, I wouldn't say sloppy seconds, but it definitely is shitting in another man's It's pool. the next day. Like, yeah. it, is, it is bizarre. But it might have been one of these things where she or both of them stopped loving each other a long time ago. Oh, yeah, it was I just a convenient. Was. I mean, I, I think the thing that know? helps is the scene where she says, I have wasted so many kisses on you and shame on me for closing my eyes so tight when I kissed you because yeah. you save all of this for your songs. And it turns out the whole time she's been thinking about Dave Gamelgard at New Year's Eve. <laughs> 1961 or whatever she says. How is it that Tina is just so annoyed by the sheer talent that guy actually has? This is hardly a date guy. I thought we were going to the movies and dinner at the club. We're going to cream these ladies. Well, how long is this going to be? I've been looking for you everywhere. You got to set up. Oh, okay. Um, where are they? Um, right straight back through the door by the stage. Great. Tina, this is Faye. Hi. How long is this going to be? 
it's not like he's like an everyday fucking you know oh this guy sucks and he doesn't get it i'm just along for the yeah. ride but yeah, don't it's you not think- like it's not like now all the girls that are subjected to their boyfriends constantly talking about fantasy football like he's actually talented and yeah. doing something and don't you think okay they're in erie pennsylvania i'm not saying it's podunk but it's erie pennsylvania don't you think she'd want to strap a rocket to him yeah. and like okay i'm gonna ride this whole thing out but did you see that dentist yeah oh he's so dreamy is there something i'm missing or is the reason that guy is called skitch i wonder if that's a part of the Zack snyder cut of this movie where they mention why he's skitch or is it just something what is skitch that, i don't know is it guy patterson skitch but then why even call him skitch if you end up giving him the nickname shades later but he keeps saying i am spartacus i am spartacus and then he also I, gives himself the nickname. So he's Skitch Shade Spartacus, which is Del Paxton featuring Skitch Shade Spartacus. Spartacus. Weird. It's just, it's, there's no need to call him Skitch when they know they're going to call him Shades and then he calls himself Spartacus. Yeah. Weird. I go back to this because it still just makes no sense. Why in God's name would you sign a quote unquote contract with a guy that lives in a camper with really no other CV? Yeah. Why don't you have your dad who works at a TV store? He probably knows somebody. He can, yeah. I'll do this for you. No one reviewed the contract. I mean, he did say, like, if you're not on the radio within 10 days, then I'll rip this contract up. But, like, what you fail to see is that the contract they sign, he now owns 50% of, like, all their music rights. But here's the thing, too. That contract in real life would have to be notarized. Yeah. So technically it's a null and void contract. Right. I mean, if you watch Baz Luhrmann's Elvis and you'll see the, that movie's more about Colonel Tom Parker than it is Elvis and literally how Colonel Tom Parker fucked Elvis in the ass. No Vaseline. Yeah. Like, I mean, he just, what's the boy band guy that, Oh, over? Lou Perlman, Lou Perlman, that piece of shit. every boy band like Lou Perlman, they made no money. Yeah. It's just like a blueprint, a tale as old as time. This local promoter, why are we to think he's any different? Yeah. Why? he not a piece of shit i don't get it at the end when dell hears guy playing drums which he the guy in the studio ernie says yeah. do you want to record that and he says no he says what do you call that he's i am spartacus and <laughs> once uh, again everything he's obsessed with spartacus in the extended cut there's a, I think a scene of him watching spartacus but uh anyhow dell asks guy to play that drum part again and he goes oh i'm gonna jam with you and he says what are you doing here oh i'm in studio b with willie walker willie walker can he jam with us no let's keep it a duet guy plays this song with Dell and he says count it out and he says two three four starts playing a completely different song than he was playing I'm not musically inclined don't have the best ear for everything but like it's a different song yeah and Dell just plays Dell plays like some crazy like complicated piece of music and guy plays a totally different song it works yeah it's fine also at the end I have to say that Oba Baba Tunde the valet this is a mystical movie because he breaks the fucking fourth wall in this movie just randomly why yeah. Why did he break the fourth wall? There's no purpose. The goes, That's right. Or whatever. He yeah. Says. When the local promoter buys their record at Villa Pianos and Faye's just sitting there counting money and she can barely looking up from counting money. That shit's rude as hell. Yeah, it's fucked up. She's counting money and the guy's like, how much are the records or whatever? And she's like, a do-. like she can barely answer because she's just sitting there yeah. counting money. Whatever, asshole. It's like you don't count money when like I would have fucking stole them. Yeah. Because she couldn't even have the you know courtesy to <laughs> look up. Yeah. Sorry, 10 yeah. records mine. Mm-hmm. When we meet Saul Siler at Playtone. Got to take care of business. Want to tell you about my new boys, the Wonders. Top 10 and fastest ever teen sensation. Caused the worst riot in Texas since Oswald got shot. Check this out. I'm in Detroit. And the insomniacs up, right? So I go for a driveway out in the boonies. 
I come across this neon sawdust dive, but what am I seeing? It is jam, jam with kids. And why? Why? I'll tell you why. These wonders are playing music like nectar. My ears do not lie. I sign them, I grab them, and they are here. You think all this British beat stuff is new? Give us another month. One more month and we'll be invading them. Won't we, kids? <laughs> yeah, where's that drummer? Raise your hand. Call him Shades, boys. He is the next Sandy Nelson, trust me. That whole scene makes me uncomfortable. Because yeah, it's like the photographers and leeches and stuff, just basically the wonders are there to like appease, pay their respects to the Platone yeah, God. Yeah, kiss his and, ass. Yeah, and they're taking photos of him and they're holding their record up. And Saul Siler like comes out and does this like, Saul Siler is here! Yeah. And everybody's like, Sully baby, like whatever. And they start talking to him about having an affair and all this other stuff. But Saul Siler, when he leaves, because he talks to the wonders for two seconds, seconds and then he says let's go get some deli <laughs> it's like me say i got to somewhere yes is that something people say or people did say i've never heard somebody say let's get some deli go have some deli no i've never like, heard that let's get a sandwich quite let's, frankly how many delis still exist even let's get some lunch meat something but he says let's get some deli let's go get some deli of two delis <laughs> give me two, two delis, delis. <laughs> It's just so weird. Go have some deli. When everyone's gathered to watch the wonders on the Hollywood showcase, this is my biggest logic point. This has been my biggest logic point for a year. Here we go. It has bothered me. So guy's dad. So everybody's in their living rooms and they cut to the family watching, you know, them perform. So guy's dad's wearing sunglasses and he's drumming with pencils on the table. Yeah, it's offbeat. And he's singing along to a song that is not that thing you do. Yeah. I don't know what he's, he's fucking it, singing. I'm actually fairly convinced he's singing the McDonald's theme because he's singing something <laughs> like, I'm loving it, baby. I'm loving that thing, and baby. I, and then I think he does say that thing you do thing, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. It's it. And it's like my theme that's never been substantiated but in total recall uh -oh. you got the guy with the jackhammer yeah. and he's talking to arnold and he says oh i'm thinking about going down to recall 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 yeah recall. and he says recall recall and i think in the script it probably told that guy sing the recall jingle yeah except i think that it didn't exist yet so they're just like just sing something yeah and then they recorded the recall jingle later to put into the movie i wonder if maybe this was one of the first scenes filmed for this movie and they didn't know what that thing you do sound like yet so or like this actor just hadn't heard the song very much and like literally did not know how it sounded you think they could have just reshot that scene like real quick he's singing a different song yeah. altogether he's way off so dad doesn't know the words to yeah. his son but then again dad didn't seem too supportive of guy's music career not at all he just pissed he left the light and then on. what did he do he fucking glommed onto him yeah like a scumbag yeah singing the wrong song exactly horrible father and then uh this movie mentions the beatles a lot so not a fictional universe but we never see the Beatles or anything. No, we don't. There's like 10 references to the Beatles. Can you imagine how much that would have cost for them to even? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Awesome movie. Oh, really it's dig great. It. So yeah, with yeah. that said, what's the legacy of this movie? Well, I mean, the legacy is it's one of the best. It's not one of the most prolific movies of all time, but it totally turned on people to, especially in 96, where music at the time started going more towards rap and stuff like that. Then all of a sudden you have this old school 60 songs start charting and then people are like oh tom hanks is involved and all of a sudden this connected people to another genre of music much like guardians of the galaxy and their soundtracks yeah. and stuff like that i put this movie and not just because ethan embry's in both but i'd put this movie sort of in the category like empire records oh, where yeah. it's very enjoyable it i 
have like it's a multiple watch movie. Yeah, you can watch it all the time. It never really gets old. It doesn't drag on. It's really well paced. It's enjoyable. If that thing you do is on TV, turn it on and watch it. There's not a lot of like huge gaping issues. I mean, I'm complaining about the guy saying let's get some deli. So yeah. it would have been interesting if they would have went with the extended cut as the actual cut. I'm glad they didn't. I mean, it would have been interesting. Not saying it would good because the gay angle is quite interesting. Yeah. But I understand why they cut it because it doesn't really have it, it anything, has nothing to, do to do with, with anything. The main crux. No, no, it doesn't. It makes me wonder what Tom Hanks was thinking with that. Yeah, because he wrote it. Yeah, wrote it. I guess it does because it's the 60s. Yeah, you know, it's sort of super uh, no no. I like uh, Goofy played himself. Mickey Mouse played himself. We yeah. got to see the uh, the Matterhorn, which didn't exist yet in 1964. Uh-oh. So we got to see oversight TV player riding a ride that didn't exist didn't yet. Exist. Stick around for some plug. Hey guys, I'm Dana, and you're listening to the pool scene podcast pool sceners thank you once again for checking out this week's episode and don't forget like comment subscribe rate and follow apple podcast spotify and podbean check us out on facebook instagram and youtube at pool scene podcast make sure you join the pool sceners group on facebook for exclusive content and we are starting a twitch channel we cool twitch.tv slash pool scene podcast once again thank you everybody and now back to Kevin. Hit it, final lap guy. Yeah, the final lap. So if you're a good little pool scener and you want to be the teacher's pet and you listen through the plugs, even though you know where to find us on social media, you will notice in our newest plug installment, there is the a familiar theme back there for other roller coaster and theme park enthusiasts. It's the Millennium Force theme. Ah, oh, so good. Which I always think it's like waterboarding for the employees to have to hear that song for, for 16 and a half hours, 16 hours a day, every day. <laughs> So speaking of Cedar Point, Millennium Force, Top Thrill Dragster is no more. So the second well, retired as we know it, which retired is as like, we know it. So the second tallest roller coaster in the world has only been not even 20 years old. Nope. I mean, came out in 04. 04. So yeah. it's 18 years old. Last year, no fault of Cedar Point, but nope. a piece flew off and hit a woman. Severely injured her. Severely injured. And um, so they did not operate it this year. Yep. Top Thrill Dragster overall is what a 16 second ride isn't even that long it launches you up a hill you are at the top crest at 420 feet and then you come back down the other side and it's over and it's often over an hour wait two hour wait so it breaks down a lot i'm glad i rode top thrill a couple times yeah i got but i i don't need to ride it anymore i rode it once and that's it there's not much to it so i'm glad to see it go as long as they make proper use out of the space because it is a big focal point of the Cedar Point skyline. Yeah, that you can't miss it. And that's what you look for when you're driving into town and stuff. So, but when we hear retired as we know it, I'm thinking that they're probably going to like modify certain systems because I know it's a fortune to maintain it and fix it up constantly. So, I wonder if they're just going to like change the launch, change the cars, repaint it, and put another no, name it's on it. It's an opportunity for what I've always wanted because since its inception, I always called it Top Thrill Hamster. <laughs> and I always thought that nice. they should make the car look like a hamster yeah and then they should put like a cage over it so it's like a hamster cage 
I always thought they should do at least with King Daka. It's basically Sister Ride in New Jersey at Six Flags. No, it's a little bit higher, but there's that other element of at least a hill on the other side. Well, do why something. don't they make it come down the other side and then go through a loop and then up around a turn or something and then add a couple more launches to it? I mean, you technically could get rid of, say, like Iron Dragon and yeah. then add elements to it with that top hat yeah. being the main there's thing. There's a lot of things around there you can get rid of. Corkscrew. Yeah, corkscrew. Yeah. Yeah. They already moved a couple of the kiddie rides out of there to the new boardwalk part of the the park. Which will open next season. So speaking of boardwalk, I'm going to transition from boardwalk to boardman. Boardman, Ohio, um, not too far from here. Nope. A couple miles. Yeah. uh, Had a tornado. Weirdly. Just that was fucking stunning. A little EF1. Yeah. Tore a roof off a hookah place, but that could have been the the hookah (laughs) people blowing sick clouds. Yeah. Sub-omen. Sub-omen, whatever. Yeah, it's called. So. uh, didn't stop the people at the Canfield Fair from putting pictures of themselves jumping in mud puddles of shit <laughs> a day after a shooting. God forbid the Sam Hunt concert got canceled, but it didn't survive the tornado. Also want to make a report out there for you pool seniors, the people who have joined the pool seniors group, make sure you join today. All of you, it's free, so jump on in. We put a little poll to see what next movie you want us to cover. It was between the 1987 edition of Robocop. Oh, I thought which, we were doing the new one. Oh, no. <laughs> we should. Sucker on you guys. We're doing a new Robocop. No, so it's going to be between 87 Robocop, unlike, I wish it was 87 Whoopi. 87 Whoopi Cop. ABC. <laughs> I would love 87 Whoopi Cop. That'd be the fucking best thing ever. It's a cyborg Whoopi Goldberg, which would be crazy. It's Robocop with uh, dreadlocks. (laughs) (laughs) Rita Miller. And between Transformers, the animated movie, which would be our first animated movie we've ever covered. Plus, it was very influential for our childhoods just because they literally made a movie to kill off a toy line and to establish a new one. The tagline might as well have been, you need new toys. That's Transformers, buy new toys. And as a kid, they swore in an animated movie, which blew our mind. Rodimus Prime, baby. That's right. Rodimus Prime, I don't think got enough credit. But we sent it to you, pool sceners, and the results are 80% to 20%, quite a big divide. We will be covering the Peter Weller masterpiece known as RoboCop next week. I can't wait. We're going to fucking toxic waste explosion guy. The ultimate. You know what's amazing? In two movies, that guy, he gets dumped in a toxic waste vat, gets completely exploded by a cop car. And then in ER, he gets his arm chopped off by a helicopter and then he dies by a helicopter falling on top of him. What? Paul McCrane had two of the most amazing deaths in movie and television history. Is he still alive? He probably yes, died. he is. I was going to say, he probably died of natural causes. Yeah, Paul McCrane is still alive. Uh, yeah, well, that's exciting because uh, Robocop, as I mentioned several, we I feel like we mentioned no, Robocop since every episode. Season so. one. Gave me nightmares kid yeah um, because it's just so violent seeing seeing peter weller get shot and we're doing the criterion yeah. collection of it so that scene is so gruesome. Shot much more yeah like uh yeah so we're gonna do robocop i'm very excited we're gonna do the, the whole ed 209 oh. we're gonna talk about the robocop cartoon yeah <laughs> it's so weird that they had a fucking so cartoon you take one of the most violent movies ever and then you it's robocop and ultra force yeah it's they like, should have as long as the toxic sludge guy should have been in the cartoon. I wish 
Ezra would have sidekick. I wish he would make like a NECA figure of him full oh my toxic. God, what a out. good idea. I would so buy the damn thing in an instant. I start a Kickstarter. Somebody <laughs> make one. Toxic Sludge uh, Robocop. I want yeah. Toxic Sludge Robocop guy. Then in Robocop 2, we get the nuke. I yeah. want the nuke kid and then the nuke canister. And then I want Lemmy from Motorhead in that thing you do. <laughs> I've ever told you, boys, you look real good in gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mr. White. <laughs> All right, everyone. Yeah, thanks for joining us for that thing you do. We love the thing that you guys do out there, following us on social media, interacting with us, voting on our polls. And until next week, join us for RoboCop. Silencia! Silencia!